as 2023 comes to a close, there is one trend I would love to see left behind. The whole masculine versus feminine conversation. Because to me, it's lazy. It lacks nuance and it creates rules for many that genuinely only apply to some. And I know for a fact I'm not alone in feeling this way. If I'm even meeting a femme presenting person that's like, you're just a little too feminine, I'm like, okay, well, we're just not probably going to work. Do people say that? I've definitely had some people say, like, you're just a little... Just kind of feminine. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I am. Whatever that means, I guess so. Do you mean that I'm softer? Do you mean I'm more gentle? And and what is wrong with that? I, I can be all of those things and still protect you. So, like, what is it that you actually mean? What's your relationship to that? Mal Wright, the certified sweetheart from The Ultimatum, is here to shed light on how ideals around masculinity and femininity have caused some major roadblocks in her love and sex life. But to think, like... I'm less masculine because I let my partner do said thing is it's just a it's just wild to me. It's hurt it's actually kind of hurtful. I think people are missing out on so much pleasure. Straight people too, men too. That's what we're here to talk about on this episode of Lovers and Friends. Lovers and friends. I'm gonna take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend I say Lovers and Friends. Uh, I'm gonna hold you down down to the end. I say Hi there, lovers and friends. Welcome to the podcast called The Same Damn Thing I Just Said. My name is Sham Boudram. I'm a public-facing sex and relationship expert. And today I'm wearing a very jazzy outfit that has me feeling like a magician. But as many of you know, I'm really not all that into magic. Um, I'm not all that into concepts that live in the cloud and not in our hands. Like if I can't bite into it, I have a very hard time digesting it. And that's by and large how I feel about this entire masculine and feminine conversation, even the divine masculine and the divine feminine. I actually don't often know what people are saying. So like you, I've heard it over and over again for the past couple of years or so. So I've spent a lot of time Googling and researching and asking people. And whenever I have looked into definitions, I've always come to the same conclusion. I'm going to talk about it in a form of a story. So I actually was a guest on tonight's conversation who was a guest on Lovers and Friends a couple episodes back for their live show. And the first live show, I just watched it. And the second live show, I got to participate. So in the first live show that I was just watching people from the audience ask questions, this woman stood up and said, I am somebody who is the oldest in my family. A lot of responsibility has always been left to me. And as a result, I have operated from my masculine. I find now that I'm trying to enter into relationships that I'm having a really hard time and that people often say I am too masculine. You know, how do I switch to being more feminine? And the people on the panel gave some really well-meaning advice around, you know, putting down her masculine side and learning to embrace and step into the feminine and work with the feminine and learn how to work with her existing divine feminine. And as much as I thought like, yeah, that's some sound advice. I also felt like it was missing the mark because the mark is here is a person who has done 50% of the work of developing a strong character, who has done half of the work of becoming a well-rounded, excellent human. Because when you read the definitions of what's masculine and what's feminine, it gives... Well, Shouldn't we all try to be those things? The masculine has focus. They are confident. They are logical. They are stable. They have clarity. They are assertive. A wounded masculine is controlling, is aggressive, and is dominant. So the feminine, the healthy feminine, is emotional, intuitive, 
creative, is able to surrender, has a sense of stillness, is vulnerable. The wounded feminine is codependent, inauthentic, and insecure. So yes, instead of separating this conversation to two different camps, like pick a side, which one are you going to be? Aren't we just having a larger conversation around the total characteristics that would amount to a healthy human experience? Because somebody who has focus should definitely also have stillness. Somebody who is confident should also be creative. Somebody who is logical should also very much be emotional. And somebody who is assertive also needs to be vulnerable. And that person also needs to know how to surrender. Because an assertive person who doesn't have a skill set because we can't be professionals and proficient at everything is a bully and a bulldozer. Then we move into the toxic characteristics. So this person who came on stage, rather than saying like, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to stop doing this. To me, what should have been given is a round of applause. Congratulations. You have worked extremely hard for a good portion of your life at developing this part of your humanity. It is wonderful. It has obviously served you. It has served your family. And that is beautiful and honorable. Now, put yourself in environments and give yourself an opportunity to develop the other side without abandoning and leaving behind what you have already built thus far. Like that is worthwhile work. And look, in my narrow perspective, the people that I've engaged with who tend to heavily invest in the ideals of the masculine and the feminine are those who often want to avoid the abilities of life, the responsibilities and the accountabilities. Because when I hear someone say, I want someone who is more feminine, I want a woman who is in touch with her divine feminine, I often hear you want somebody who is not going to question you. You want somebody who's not going to make you feel insecure because they're not going to have an opinion. You want somebody who's willing to put their needs to the side in order to amplify and serve and support your own. And on the flip side, when I hear somebody who says, I want a more masculine man, I want somebody to take charge, that person is also saying, like, I don't want to take responsibility for my life. I don't want to take responsibility for my financial needs. I don't want to take responsibility for decisions that have been made. And then perhaps at the end of the day, when I finally close my eyes, I actually don't have to take responsibility for the failures and shortcomings of my life because I wasn't in the driver's seat. And that can work for some people. And like I said, I do believe that there are some people who benefit from this binary didactic way of thinking about humanity. I just don't think it's for most of us. And personally, I love the abilities. I love taking accountability for myself and those that I love. I love taking responsibility. And I love, I hella fucking love interacting with people who feel the exact same way. That's porn to me. So that's what you're going to get in this episode, a conversation between two people who have this way of thinking. And don't get me wrong, um, perhaps it's an opportunity for us to invite people who feel very differently, who can provide a different perspective. But I think we've heard that perspective at nausea for the past couple of years. So now it's time to invite a twist on that conversation. What is the TLDR from where people know you and where that thing that people know about you stands today? TLDR. Too long, don't read. Which means like, I didn't watch the show. So like get somebody caught up on like, okay, here's who I am. Here's where you might've known me from. Oh, cool. Okay. So TLDR in short, um, I did a reality show. We did the first uh, all queer cast, I should say on like a major streaming platform. Um, Ultimatum, queer love. Thank you. And uh, we saw my relationship at the time kind of dismantle on TV. Uh, to add some layers to it, I'm also the only... I was only I was the only black person on cast, which that might add some different layers. Um, 
So yeah, we did that. I guess I, I got a hero cut, if you will, um, and like a sweetheart cut. And I think that is all attributed to just tons of therapy and using the tools that we both gained over years at the time, right? Um, and also we were, everybody on cast was going through something very traumatic at the same time. Um, so that's what we got. It's like, it's like using the tools, trying to make sure everybody feels safe in this environment that we're in. Um, and, and production that saw that. The other part to that is there's 30,000 hours of content. There is 10 episodes cut down into 40 minutes. So whoever, whoever you show yourself to be at that point in life, 80% of the time, that's gonna, that's what's going to show on camera because it's unscripted. Yes. Right. Um, and you can't, you can't fake a camera out if they catch you being, they might be able to misplace reactions, but, but you still reacted the way you react. So are you saying that a lot of reality stars who complain that, oh, editing made them look a certain way, that's not really true. That's just how they were during the, that period of time. I can only speak for our production team in my show because um, I, don't, I don't know, you know. I don't know how all production teams work. But for mine and my show, I think when you catch a reaction of someone, whether you place it here or there, the reaction is still true. So if I'm if I'm a person who's explosive by nature and I explode on this one thing, it it might be likely that I'm just explosive by nature. Does that answer? Yes, it does. Because you know what? As I've never worked in reality as a cast member before, but I've worked as a hoster, as an expert, and so I have interactions with the cast. And I always hear that, you know, saying that that's not who I am. It's such a misdepiction, the way that things were edited. But in my limited experience with the cast, because I'm not with them all the time, but it's always pretty accurate to like what my perception of them was mm -hmm. being with them in real time. There's not this huge gap. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there could be really great actors or people who depict themselves or who know going ahead in advance, like, okay, here's how I make myself, myself look the best. But all these scenarios are designed to be triggering. So even yeah. if you try your best to have a mental image of how you want to appear, what's underneath, and unfortunately, what's way, way underneath, like the lower thirds of your humanity, they're going to press those buttons for, for it to come up. Yeah. And where are you guys today? Mm. Had to do it. Had to bust in a cliffhanger. That's actually my training, my original training. Fun fact about me, when I was growing up, I watched soap operas daily. I mean, by the time I was like four years old, I was hooked on a couple of them. And to me, that's what sparked the way that I do my work. I always try to fuse an interesting, sexy story that has you hooked and add in some educational value. And to me, if you have that formula, boom, you got a winner. And that is why I love my subscription with our sponsor, Dipsy. And you're gonna love it too because you're gonna get it for free for 30 days. Essentially, Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners and 56% are voice acted by people of color. New content is released every single week, which can make Dipsy your go-to place to spice up your you time, explore your fantasies, or eat things up with a partner. So I'm going on vacation to Mexico with my family and I wanna have all the fun, like the family fun and the frisky fun. And to transition from one to the other, I need a little bit of help. And that is where my Dipsy app is going to come into play. Once the kids go to bed, I'm gonna pop that in and then get it popping afterwards. And you can too. For listeners of Lovers and Friends, Dipsy is offering an extended 30 day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com lovers. That is 30 days of all access 
for free. And all you have to do is go to dipsystories.com slash lovers. Dipsystories.com slash lovers. Let me slow it down. You did not end up marrying the person you went on the show no. with. And where are you guys today? Mm, we haven't spoken in a little while. We tried to remain cordial for, for a minute, for a couple of months. Um, but we haven't spoken in, in quite some time. So. And that's for the best. I think so. I think she has to do whatever she needs to do to keep herself safe. And the same thing with me. And we evolve. And, you know, you're, continued, you're, you're committed to, like, self-care. I know I am. And the things I would have done in the past, like maybe reaching out more often, I'm just, I won't do. Like, I, I don't think that I deserve to do that or I should. So, you know. Did you guys go on the show earnestly? What do you mean? Genuinely being like, I want to see if we can get married at the end of it. Or were you like, this is kind of a shit show. People should watch. You know what's crazy? The first ultimatum wasn't out yet. So we had no idea of what we were getting into. We knew that there was a name of a show, but we had no idea what this was going to be. Um, and we went on it, you know, kind of like, we're going to choose each other. Of course we will. Why wouldn't we do that? Um, we have things we want in life. Yes, I'm moving a little slower than you. I have my ideas of what I want a marriage to look like based on, you know, what I was taught and all the things. Um, and our relationship doesn't look like that yet. And I'm not saying it can't get there, but we're not there right now. So, yes, if, if I'm dragging my feet, then okay, we can call it that. And then we went on this show and I'm, you know, at the time we were in couples therapy and she's definitely like, we can make it through this. I was like, I don't know. The premise sounds a little nutty. I'm not really a risk taker that type of way. I don't know. Do you think we can do this? I remember muting the casting directors and like, babe, do you think we can do this? Yeah. She's like, we're good. We got this. We can do it. And I'm like, okay, I guess let's try it. I trust you. You know, did the show destroy your relationship? Did the show destroy your relationship? No, I, I don't think those shows. It's not enough time to it's it's only 10 weeks of filming and it's not enough time to destroy your relationship. I think that what it does do is unearth all the shit that you're like pushing down or moving past or choosing to look beyond. It unearths all the real things real time put your relationship in a microwave and it's like, no, we're going to deal with all of your deepest things right now. Um, and however you come out of that, you come out of it. You Which know? you could argue that there's that, like a building that's falling apart slowly, there's an opportunity for someone to repair it. And there's a chance like if the pipes go, okay, we can work on the pipes versus if the pipes and the electricity and the plumbing, which pipes and plumbing are the same thing. I always start an analogy <laughs> and then realize midway through, I don't have the information necessary to carry this out successfully. But yeah, it can force all of the issues at once versus if things play out over time, it just gives you a chance to catch your breath and repair. Mm -hmm. It can do that. And also if it's worth the investment or not, right? And I think you probably have to look at like, there's this building to go off of your analogy and it's an investment that I'm making in this building to repair it for whatever reason, whatever value it has to me, I can. Or you might just realize like, this might be like a sinking repair. I might need to just pull my money out of this. Yeah. And that's that's a really hard decision to make, you know? Cause then you're thinking like, well, why did I invest in this to begin with? What does this mean for me? How is this gonna look? Um, so yeah, 
know. Was the foundation even good? Was it good to begin with? You're questioning all these things. You right. know, we got off the show and I, we had a, like we had a dispute, we had a fight. And at that moment after the show, while I'm, while I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I'm just at my like primal level of existence, the way we handled the fight made like all the change to me. And I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can handle arguments with you. Conflict resolve is not the way I want to handle that for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I don't, obviously we were together for three years. I don't think I made those decisions. We had worse arguments before that, but this one I'm like, no, I can't do this, you know? Mm. So pull your money out. In your case though, was the decision more or less made for you? Cause there's that awkwardness that happens. I think where it's bad, but not really bad enough to really say, okay, this is over. Yours got to a place where it was like glaringly bad, where people were also telling you like, you should end this. Mm. I think sometimes in relationships, I can only speak for myself and especially for women, I think we get to this point where things are bad, um, but some things are really embarrassing and you're like, and there's a lot of shame that governs your decisions. And you're like, I don't know if I can tell people how bad this is because this appears to be good. Yeah. And I can't talk about what I'm going through without also dragging my partner. Yes. And I don't want to do that. Cause I, cause, and then also the other part is like, I, I love this person. So what do I do? You know? Um, so no, I think there were, I, I went to like a therapy session after that and she was like, you knew every time when there were flags that you probably should have pulled out of um, and you didn't. And I'm like, oh yeah, I could name them all. I know those times, but for whatever reason, hearing like your parents or whatever influences you have that are like, you should stay in this. Um, I did, you know? But then after the show, I was like, no, we can't keep doing this. I don't deserve it. And also you don't deserve somebody to trigger you the way that I do either, you know? And so it's like, we can't keep doing this. We, and we can't raise kids in this. Yeah, we, we can substitute deserve with manage because the word deserve sometimes, like what does that even mean? Fair. But yeah, if the person's incapable of managing what you bring out of them at this time, it's just like, we don't have the tools for this. Yeah. And to your point, you get to that place where you look at that building assessment, and you're like, damn, it's gonna take a lot of work. Do I have the money? Do I have the time? Um, and the energy for it? Or is there a different building for both of us yeah. that would just be a better use of our time? Yeah. And we can preserve. I'm, I was just talking to my best friend about this. She's like, you know, she's also a cishet woman. And she's like, you're friends with your exes. And I'm like, yeah, I think there are a lot of things to that. I think it's a positive. I I think so. I think it's a positive. Somebody asked that, like, is it a red flag if someone's friends with their ex? I'm curious about your response and I'll give yeah. mine. Um. Well, I guess going, continuing from that conversation, I'm like, how can we still preserve at least a friendship? So I can't undo how I feel about you. I've felt these things. You're a part of my life. You're almost a part of this iteration of myself now. I can't undo that, right? And so I would like to remain friends if we can. Um, but I think in queer community, it's already so small to begin with. We, I think... Uh, in, in trauma, like we all want to feel a sense of belonging, most of us. And you break up and you're like, well, damn, I still want community, though. We already only make up whatever small percentage, single digit percentage of, of the population. And I want to be in community. And so, yes, we had a romantic relationship. 
And also, I don't necessarily want to lose you either. And so for me, yeah, with most of my exes, I'm still cool with. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no weird energy either. It's like we did a thing and we've evolved through that. And we're buddies now. And I can meet your person. You can meet mine. And we can talk about the things. And I might, we might have a bond. I think what's beautiful about remaining friends with your exes is that you guys have a bond that maybe other people don't share. Um, but it's just a deeper knowingness. And that's it. And a trust. And that's it. Why do you think that people look at it as a red flag? And have you experienced people who see it as a red flag in you? Sure. I've had, I've had people that I've dated that are like, I'm not friends with any of my exes. Queer people. Um, I I don't know if it's a red flag so much as like a, a point of like self reflection. I wonder I wonder why you can't be friends with this person if they weren't abusive. I am curious as to why you guys can't be friends. You don't have to be best friends, but they're like tears of friendship. Yeah, you know. And why can't you be? It's I don't know. I don't know if it's a red flag. I just think like that's interesting that you can't be friends with somebody. They. They were your friend when you were dating them. They're now no longer a good friend. Yeah, which actually I think is unique. I had uh, a queer woman on here who was saying that that that's what's unique about relationships because she dates both or dated both at some point in time mm -hmm. where she's like, there was a lot of men that I was dating who I knew I would never be friends with. But mm. every woman that I was with was also my best friend. So I think that a lot of heterosexual people enter into relationships with people which they shouldn't. Where it's like, we actually don't have anything in common. Right. Like, there's really not a genuine basis for us to be friends. Yeah. We're attracted to each other, and that's what this is built off of. And then we have a bunch of tolerance for each other because of this attraction. Mm -hmm. But there's not genuine mutual liking. Yeah. But I agree. I mean, I think if I met somebody and I was thinking of doing business with them, these guys love this light. Um, it's just, I'm like, happy you're not being bothered by this. No, it isn't. I actually really enjoy this game of hitting them. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're really large. They're huge. Yeah, so they're just, they're nice. They're pretty, though. They are really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I have a two-year-old. And my husband does not like this, but we collect dead bugs and cut them up. Cut them up and She can what? see the inside, yeah. like get to see the bug up close. So if I see a dead bug, I'll be like, Ryu, a dead bug. And then we'll get a knife and then like go through it and oh. look at it. So, Ryu? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What's the other one's name? Zaya. Zaya and Ryu. Yeah. Super cute. Hi, lovers and friends. Let's take advantage of this natural break so that we can show love to our second of four sponsors on this episode, which is Skims. And of course, I'm always just naturally wearing a bunch of Skims. I'm wearing Skims thongs right now, too. All right, let me try and tie this back to what you just saw. So one of my favorite Christmas gifts I ever received was this bug inspection science kit that I got as a kid. You could like put bugs in a Petri dish and they would like enlarge it on a screen and you could like cut them open and do surgeries on them, whatever. So I was so excited to get this gift and to this day. I think so fondly of it and I picked it out myself. That to be said, you don't have to overthink it this holiday season. Get people what they want and get them some skims. Your favorite, my favorite, skim staples like the Fits Everybody collection, the Cotton collection, the Soft Lounge collection, and Sleep are now available in cheerful colors and festive prints like the one I got on right now. One of my favorite parts of the Skims Holiday Shop is that their best-selling holiday collections come wrapped and ready to go in pre-packaged Skims Holiday Boxes, and it was nice that the gifts that I bought for myself also came wrapped. I got the Fits Everybody Scoop Bralette 2-Pack, the Fits Everybody Boy Short 5-Pack, the Cotton Jersey Scoop Bralette 2-Pack, the Cotton 
cotton jersey thong five pack and skims is available in extra extra small to 4x for women and unisex styles and they also start a newborn sizing for children believe the hype skims has over 100,000 five-star reviews for a reason skims holiday gift shop is now open and if you go to skims.com and spend 75 dollars you get free shipping also do me and the show a favor after you have checked out Go down to How'd You Hear About Us, select podcast, and then find lovers and friends and tell them who sent you. We're here to talk about something that I think is so fascinating that I have a million thoughts, but I want to start with your thought starter. We're talking about masculine and feminine and how those roles play out in the bedroom and how they can become played out in the bedroom. Oh, that's a good one. Thanks. Can I lower this? Yeah. Is it in your face? Kind of. How about if we put it... Sometimes the, people like it there, you know? I don't what know. What about like there? That works. I am mask presenting, and um, I've, I date women who are femme presenting, and there are ideals, um, like heteronormative ideals, right, where I think the assumption is that because I am mask presenting, maybe I don't uh, connect with, like, my parts the way that my partner does, right? And... Um, or maybe just ideas of where, I don't know, like in the bedroom, it's not it's not like equitable. We're not both here to pleasure each other. It's more of like I derive pleasure from being the more dominant one and you just receive, right? And for me, I can't speak for all, but for me, I think that's very different. I think that I I like both and it's very expansive for me and I'm a very curious person and I think it's important that both of us um, – figure out what works best for both of us. And I don't really have any boundaries with that either, right? So um, in the bedroom and how it plays out outside of the bedroom. You know, I've definitely dated my femme presenting people that are super handy and I'm just, and I might just not be, you know? Um, so yeah. Do you identify as stud or as stem? No, but at one point I did. Like earlier on, when I was trying to figure out how I want to present in the world around me, it definitely felt like, and for the sense of belonging, I definitely felt like, oh, I'm a stud. I have to identify this way. And then I recognized, like, wait a minute. I'm learning, like, in this stud world, there are rules. And I don't necessarily agree with all those rules. What are some of the rules? I don't know that it's a monolith and so much has changed. But at the time, for, for my stud friends, it was like, oh, you got to get a lineup, you know, and this is the type of clothes you need to wear. You need to wear sports bras only and boxer briefs only, you know? And it's like, what? And also, like, as it came to pleasure, it was like, oh, penetration? Can't do that. Don't do that's, that's That's gay if you do that, you know? And it's like... It's gay if you get penetrated. Right. And it's like, wait a minute, but the way mine works is a little... It's okay. It's not a big deal, you know? And so now that I've gotten older... It's a little different. It's like all of that, these constructs of masculinity and femininity just don't, they just don't even matter. They really just don't. Um, so yeah, I don't identify as a stud at all, no. Um, nor a stem. I wear what I feel comfortable in. Um, I wear what I think I look good in. Um, and beyond that, in the bedroom, whatever we're doing is between my partner and I and whatever, the pleasure is the goal. That's it. And however that makes you feel safe and feels good and we both feel like we're happy and we're pleasuring each other, then it's good. We're fine. 
I find conversations around masculinity and femininity, femininity frustrating because they're coming from vague principles. But I know that it's necessary because it does govern so much of how we think about the world and the language that we use. Mm -hmm. So I think it's massively important to deconstruct what these things are. But I think because deconstructing something that's man-made and existing in the cloud can be very frustrating because what is it to be masculine and what is it to be feminine and who decides what those things are and why do we all kind of know what that means, but we can't come up with a general consensus. Yeah. Nobody has the answer. When you ask that question to even some of your most manliest of men, like nobody has the answer and we have, we all have what we were taught, you know, coming up and we don't know. I, if I'm honest, the I dress like this because it looks good, right? And I've, I've found what works for me. But I recall feeling like, I said this in, in, a, in an article recently, like the reason why I fell into this was not because like I wanted to, but because of at your human, your basic human want for desirability. And I got more, I garnered more attention like this. So this is where I landed. And it just expanded into something that looked better for me. And obviously, like with resources, you can do more with that, right? Um, but when I'm with, I, I love to see feminine people dress up and I'm like, damn, I wish my body looked like that, you know? Or like, I wish I could wear that, you know? But I just don't feel like I look good. It's my own thing. Yeah. And then society is like, yeah, nah, you you look weird in that. Yeah. You know, you can't wear that. That's crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you're right. But really, if nobody told me that, maybe I would be just okay with trying all the things. Now, in being grown, I can mix and match what I want to wear. I might wear, like, a woman's shirt with men's pants or whatever. And I don't, And at this point, I don't care what anybody thinks. Yes. Um, but there was a long time where I did care, you know, all through high school and college. Those developmental years, I cared. Or hearing your parents. You know, I remember my dad being like, ah, she's just a little bit thicker. To you? You'll be it. Yeah. What? I know. I hate to say that. I hate to do you like that, Dad. Sorry. Yeah, but I mean, right. But it's real. Yeah. You know, my dad's a very traditional, very old Cuban man, very machismo. That's that's part of his makeup. And he's like, I have this one daughter. So you're in your mind just thinking, okay, this, I see myself. I see myself amongst my peers and I don't look like them. I'm not built like them or I'm not developing the way that they are. Um, so we end up here, you know? Yes. I mean, I think this is where... The conversation I've had beautiful conversations with non-binary people about just exactly this being in the gray between these two absolutes enough that you feel like I just don't even know how to classify myself neatly for you why has the non-binary category not been attractive to you at this point oh I feel very much so to in in my understanding of non-binary I don't not identify with either one be it Mas the masculine or the feminine energy. I think I'm a mixture of both. I do use they, them pronouns, she, her, they, them, but I, I very heavily identify with she, her. So I just haven't adopted that. Yeah. yeah. I think that for myself, I identify with she, her, but in having conversation with people who are non-binary, especially when it comes to, I can give this as a bad example, but... Um, I'm consensually non-monogamous, right? Mm -hmm. So because I don't exist in 
the bucket of non of monogamy, it gave me an opportunity to really think about like, hey, what does matter for me in commitment? What does cheating actually mean for me? What does actually trigger and bother me? Like, what is it that someone can or can't do that makes me feel safe uh, or unsafe in the relationship? And so it just allowed me to start having a different conversation. And so I think that even that, like when you're a woman and you're having sex with a man or you're a woman having sex with a woman and the woman appears femme and the man and the what other woman appears to be masculine presenting, then we just like have all these assumptions that mm -hmm. we just put in. And I think that that's kind of shitty because it's like, I kind of want space to create something different. Yeah. And because we are so tied to the allegiance to whatever our title is that we miss all the space for creativity. And so how do you get people on board with that nonpartisan kind style of thinking in the bedroom where it's just natural to think like, oh, well, there are these certain roles. And if you appear this way and I appear that way, then we should do it in this certain way. Yeah. How, how do I get them on board? Um, I think it's a conversation that happens in the beginning. And that's, I can say that now confidently, knowing that there were so many conversations that didn't happen then, right? And also led to like, could have been breeding ground for infidelity and, and things like that, right? So I don't need you to think exactly like me, but I do think there's basic makeup that happens. If you're committed to making people feel safe, if you're committed to operating in vulnerability and if you're committed to, if you're just curious, if you lead with curiosity, if we have those three things, then I think we're good because that's how I'm going to lead. And then we can just try the things. And if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's okay. And if we're both committed to pleasure, period. Yes. Whatever that looks like, there's safety already there and there's vulnerability there so we can talk about it. But like, I'm just committed to you being pleasured. I don't care what that looks like. Just what is it? Just tell me, let me try it. I'm curious now, you know? So then is it really, cause I'm just thinking about, you don't mind being penetrated. No. You prefer, you like. I like, depends on what it is, but yes. Are there things that people could do that would make you feel demasculated or I don't know, is there even a word for defeminated? Like, is that even a word? That might be a word. If emasculated, demasculated or is it emasculated? Emasculate. Right? Emasculated? Yes. So that's a word. There has to be. Effeminated, right? When you're effeminate, you're very feminine. Right. And that's why language doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting, right? Right. Yeah. Because um, I can think about that in a heterosexual relationship. There are definitely things that I could do that would be pleasurable for me. Like I might really be interested in pegging or in spanking. I really like the thought of having a penis. I like the idea of mimicking the actions of somebody who has a penis. Mm -hmm. That's a turn on to me, but it feels like a taboo within my dynamic because my partner is like, well, if you act out on that desire of yours, then I lose my masculinity and that trade-off doesn't feel good. Right. Which is weird, right? Because why does then, if that happens in the bedroom and you're emasculated there, why does that then have to roll over to like everything else? Why can't it just be in that moment? And I think there is... Because then I guess they carry that in their mind that that happened. Right. And then you have that card that you could bring that socially. Even if they're like, okay, within the confinements of the bedroom, I'm fine with it. They still know that you have this knife that could slice a part of their masculinity if you were to share this socially. Right. Which then you probably shouldn't be with that person to begin with. Right. 
because they need to have foundations of safety, harm reduction. Like, so in dating now, I'm like, if you don't already have, if you're not meeting me there with safety, harm reduction, vulnerability, um, and curiosity, then I don't really know how much further we can go because I need you to treat humans this way, right? Um, now I know that Mal is speaking your language right now, but imagine she was sharing these beautiful words in Spanish or French or Danish. Could you understand her then? Especially Spanish, because fun fact, the U.S. Census projects that by 2060, one in four Americans will be Latino. And that is why it has never been a better time to learn a new language. And if you're going to go on that beautiful journey, do it with the best with our sponsor, Babbel. So with the break I'm taking from podcasting, I don't start back school until the spring. I am going to get serious about doing Babbel every day for 10 minutes because through that, you can learn a new language in three weeks. Because like I said, mi sueño es mudarme a Puerto Rico en los próximos dos años. And that's right there. That's a sound that Babbel will give you if you say it correctly. And if you want to stick to it, you can get to that language goal, like I said, in three weeks. Babbel's quick 10 minutes lessons are designed by over 150 language experts. And these lessons are delivered with conversation-based teaching. It is so easy to pick up on how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps on vacation. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversation. It's time to ask yourself, why not you and why not now? Here is a special limited time deal for our listeners to get started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash lovers. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash lovers. Spelling that B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash lovers. Rules and restrictions may apply. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like just because... Maybe I received penetration this one time in the bedroom or however, well, however many times. Doesn't then mean I can't then fix your flat tire or change your oil or whatever the, el- whatever the hell else we've wrapped around masculinity, right? Doesn't mean I can't do those things. Doesn't mean then now I'm going to be like, oh, girl, let me use your lip gloss. Like, that's yeah. not going to happen. I'm going to still throw this fitted on. <laughs> yeah. We're still fine. But you might throw on lip gloss, too. I don't know if I would. But I'm not opposed to anybody else that wants to do that. Are you having genderless sex? I think so. Yes. I think there are times when one might be more dominant. Like I I think by nature I'm just more dominant. Um, But genderless for sure. Like there, I I just don't practice those things. You you can try the things. And if I don't want to do it, I'm okay to tell you like, I don't really like that or... That didn't really feel good. But to think like I'm less masculine because I let my partner do said thing is it's just a it's just wild to me. It's hurt it's actually kind of hurtful. I think people are missing out on so much pleasure. Straight people too, men too, on so much pleasure. Women too, by these ideas that they make up in their mind of what pleasure should feel like as a human. We're missing out on so much. It's interesting because I've been talking about role playing quite a bit and, you know, many, not the average person's not into role playing and in having this conversation, people are like, well, how do I even do that? But the real truth is you're probably already doing it every day. Yeah. In your regular life. In sl- I've slept with men before and in, traditionally in those experiences, I don't like the power that I think men just assume. I think that. I think that there's just a, an assumption that men are like entitled to your body a certain way that we that 
us as women have been taught to just be like, okay, I'll be the submissive and you can just take this thing. So long as you assert yourself, you can have it. And I'm just like, no, you haven't even done anything. Like immediately, no. I'm not just gonna lay on my back and you just do your thing. It's not pleasurable for me. You're the only one who's winning. This is not equitable at all. And you've done nothing but be a man and assume this power. So I've always had a problem with that dynamic, you know? I connected with that too, because even in that assumption of power, it's the burden of responsibility too, of like, I gotta come up with all the positions. I have to decide what we're doing next. I have to decide what the pace is and how fast we're progressing. And this activity of sex is contingent on how long I can stay hard for. Like that burden of even the assumption of power and of responsibility where it's like, I don't even want that. You know what I mean? Like your erect penis is not a requirement for sex to be happening. Right. But you just assume that it is. You know, you don't have to be the one who comes up to all the positions. I might have an idea too, but you yeah. just assume that it is. Like you just assume <laughs> that you have to decide when foreplay is over, when we begin another act. And so I think that that's why that genderless sex idea is so attractive um, to me because it's like, I don't know if we need all of this instruction and I don't actually know who's benefiting from it. Yeah. I Even the idea of sexiness isn't predicated on like men just showing up. We're like women historically have created whatever sexiness looks like. We have to like get ready and like make sure you smell good and make sure your hair's good and make sure you're wearing. They don't make lingerie for men. Right. You know, this idea of sexiness is it's we're the ones who are doing all the work for this. Men just get to show up and just perform. And nobody cares how they perform either. Like we talk about it. I think I've heard my friends talk about it, but whether it was good or bad, that was, that didn't matter. Like he, he still wins. Right. <laughs> right. And my homegirls are just, it might become a joke, but he still wins. He still, if climax is, is like the benchmark, he still wins. And then my homegirls are like, well, no, I didn't get mine, but the butt part is like you had me at butt. But what? What do you mean you didn't you didn't win also? Right. This is frustrating for me to hear you go through this. And then I'm hearing it through lesbian ears and I'm like, this is really frustrating because I don't know, over on this side of the tracks, we're winning a lot. You know, what's interesting to think about that flip is because in men or penis and vagina relationships, the penis is usually the one who wins. But in women vulva vulva relationships where the woman is the masculine one she's not getting off so it's like that doesn't transfer over right because now it's no longer supposed to be about your clitoris or about your penetration or your needs or even your nipples right it's supposed to be about pleasuring the femme depends i think it depends on who you're with really so to your point yes i have heard that um and i think there are some i'm gonna say mask presenting i'll just say that for basics because that's who I've heard of this happening with, this type of dynamic happening with, who get off different ways. Um, like, And I don't know because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those. Well, I've heard before people say that they don't like receiving oral, but they can get an orgasm giving oral to someone else. Yeah, I'm not built like that. I would think that probably has happened to you a couple times. Don't get me wrong. Everything is possible. You can orgasm in your sleep. So that just goes to show you that this is the biggest sexual organ that you have is the brain. So. True. I believe you can orgasm from breathing. I believe that you can orgasm from thinking things or from the pleasure of giving to somebody else. I don't know how reliable and consistent that is. And I don't know why you would ignore 
the physical thing that will definitely get you there in order to get to this other thing, which seems a bit more complicated. I am not one of those people, but I have friends that absolutely are like, oh yeah, all I got to do is give and I'm happy and I'm pleased. Um, and I, and I think it's also important that you're with a person that you can express that to, you know, that holds space for that. Um, I traditionally have dated people who I don't know if they could hold space for that. If I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if I've been with people like that. They, I've definitely been with people who would like to just receive only. And I'm like, now we're both not being, we're, we're, it's not equitable. We're not both being fed here. And when there's lack and a good combination of lack and you might not be getting along and it might not be aligned, that's, in my history, that's been a bad cocktail. When people just want to receive, what's their rationale for that? Their rationale, which is valid, has just been like they've been with previous partners who also were okay with that. And I think being with me has been like a newer experience. Maybe there's just like a, that's just not a thing that I do. Or maybe they just don't know what to do. And they think that there's this judgment. And I'm like, I'll teach you what to do, you know. And we can learn this because that takes time to learn your partner. Um, but yeah, I think that's just been it. They just, their rationale comes from history and where they've been. And whatever they've done has been enough. And I'm like, that's cool, but... Like that, I don't know that that's enough for me. Here are the things that I desire. And you also want your partner, I have wanted my partner to be enthusiastic about that too, right? Because when you're not enthusiastic about it, now I'm feeling insecure. Like, is there something going on with me or what's up? I want you to desire me or desire the thing or be, you know, ecstatic about pleasure, period, whatever that looks like, you know? Have you had partners who came from that pillow princess mentality who got together with you who just never really clicked with the idea? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think it would be tough to dismantle if you don't want the same things, right? Like if it's, and maybe they want it, but they just don't know. Sometimes it takes someone to say like, oh, like, do you want octopus eyes and you're like I don't think I want that yeah and then you try and you're like oh I do want octopus eyes yeah and then some people they try and like I didn't want it and I don't want it now that I actually have it you could have to develop the palate because I said whatever but like to your point having to be on that learning curve with somebody is also difficult for your ego because you're like they're trying to acquire a taste for something that you're just like hey, man I just wish that you liked what I like octopus eyes yeah yeah so I'm just curious because I'm thinking about this even in terms of the sounds, right? So if I had these ideals around, I'm going to have sex with Mal and Mal is masculine presenting. And so I've had sex with people who dress like her, who look like her before. And this is what we did. And then we come into the bedroom and you're like, ah, and I'm like, that's not the sound that you're supposed to make. Yeah. And then you ask me to do something. I'm like, you're not supposed to ask me to do that. Yeah. And then afterwards now I'm feeling confused about the whole dynamic. I think that that must take a lot of work to dismantle. Yeah. All of those ideals. Mm -hmm. I And I think also, if that were the case with me, again, I would absolutely be like, we should probably go to like intimacy coaching or like couples therapy or something. Because this is how I sound, you know? This is what I do. 
Well, I can't ask for a better lead in than that to share this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So as we all know, this time of year is all about giving and whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you get to define how you give to yourself. And the holidays are a great time to do that for your mental health. So whether it is by starting therapy, going easier on yourself during the tough moments, treating yourself to a day of complete rest or pausing a dream now so you can come back to it refreshed later. Remember, give yourself some love this holiday season. And therapy isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. It is for anyone who is seeking positive coping skills and language to help with boundary setting or ironically for me, therapy was really helpful in having an expert assure me that I wasn't crazy, that I was normal and that my feelings were valid. Now, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lovers today to get 10% off your first month. That is better, H-E-L-P.com slash lovers. I've tried to come into this masculine and feminine idea and the idea of the divine masculine and, and getting it, but I always just kind of land at like, yeah, but I'm better at that thing than you, so why am I letting you do it? Or you're better at this thing than me, so why am I taking responsibility for it? Yeah. And this doesn't actually fall in line with with what I want or what it makes me feel respected. And like I would prefer an equal relationship, an egalitarian relationship. And with my partner, uh, whom I think that we have that in many capacity, there are still areas, like I think the bedroom is definitely one of them, where we're still really beholden to these ideals of what a man does and what a woman does. And so dismantling that or finding a partner who's even willing to dismantle that is not easy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if in the queer community, it's a higher percentage of people who are on board to say like, yeah, like, fuck that. Let's figure out what we like and what works for us. I think it's also like um, an era thing, like a generational thing. I think the generations now are more open to exploring. They're, they're just, since like the language of queerness has come around, it's far more expansive um, and it allows space for more duality and it allows a change in lens and how you address the world around you. Um, and so I find that people that identify with being queer, when they are really strict with this language, I don't know, stick with me on it, I don't know. But what I've noticed is like there's a lot less rules there. Um, and then I think about my friends that are kind of more in my era, like my age and we're like, we have studs and we have femmes and this is what studs do and this is what femmes do, you know? And this is what our parents did. And I'm like, we're modeling this off of an era that's just, it's just so archaic now, you know? It doesn't leave much room for expansiveness and it's not, it doesn't feel the most inclusive either or safe for that matter. I even find it with my, my hetero friends, some of my guy friends, you know? I'm like, bro, you can do that. You can like this thing. It's okay. It's, nobody's judging you. You also don't owe it. You don't have to like profess that you like this thing to your whole community. Nobody's asking you for that. If you like that thing, like it. It's cool. It's fine. I mean, the nobody's judging you part is a lie. That's fair. You're not judging. Uh, yeah. We just need more of you. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take that. What kind of relationships excite you moving forward? And how are you building those kinds of relationships? Romantically or just in friendship? Romantically. Sexually, um, romantically. I, de I still am highly attracted to femme presenting people. Um, 
but people where duality really exists, they understand like them. They're they're trying to understand themselves in fullness, you know, and they're trying to heal in fullness the masculine parts of themselves, the feminine parts of themselves, or whatever they've been taught. More queer people. Um, it's interesting. I've had more of an affinity for non-binary people identifying. And I'm like, where is this coming? What's going on? You know? Um, but moving forward, I think people that are committed to like deconstructing whatever you've been taught. If I'm even meeting a femme presenting person that's like, you're just a little too feminine. I'm like, okay, well, we're just not probably going to work. Do people say that? I've definitely had some people say, like, you're just a little, just kind of feminine. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I am. Whatever that means, I guess so. Do you mean that I'm softer? Do you mean I'm more gentle? And and what is wrong with that? I, I can be all of those things and still protect you. So, like, what is it that you actually mean? What's your relationship to that? Um, if I have actual interest in somebody, I'll ask those questions. But if I don't, then I'm just kind of like, it's okay. Like, you can believe, you can feel however you want to feel, and we can choose to disagree on this. I don't need to make you. I'm not in the business of convincing someone to, like, accept all parts of me. Yeah. Because that's the interesting thing, too, where it's, like, adopting the standard looks and feels of certain things in some areas and rejecting them in others. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting in, in dating, uh, especially the people that are really, really attached to these uh, identities, right? Like, I'm a femme, so what that means is I don't play sports, never did, only date studs, don't want to fix anything in the house, like handy things, only do this, and I'm like, these binaries I just I can't get with. I hear it for you, and I hold it with you. I cannot do that. Like, But then interestingly, because you want somebody to reject those binaries, but still assume the physical presentation of a femme. I like, I'm attracted to it. Now, I will be honest, if I were dating someone, that's just because that's what I'm attracted to at like carnal level, right? When I see it, I'm like, oh, I like it, a baddie. Um, but if I were dating someone for a while and she was just like, you know, I want to explore like wearing, dressing like you. I don't, that's not a deal breaker for me. My concern is like, well, let's make sure you look good. Cause if we can't have you out here looking crazy, <laughs> we got to make sure you look good. If we're going to be stud for stud, let's make sure we both look good. You know? Yeah. And, but I don't think I would go anywhere. I don't think that's a deal breaker for me. That's not what I'm attracted to at first glance. I'm not looking at that. Um, but it's also acknowledging that attractiveness is just marketing sure. or exposure. Yeah. So whatever you expose yourself to or you tell yourself is attractive or the world tells you is attractive is what you're going to end up liking. So if you told your brain to like something different and started to expose yourself to that more, you'd watch your preferences change. Maybe it would change. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that's interesting. And I, I just don't know how I feel about that with men because I've never been a I've never had that type of I can acknowledge very beautiful men yes and I see them and I'm like that guy is fine he looks so good and I can see that and I've also been with men yes and been like when I'm with you this does not this doesn't feel natural to me love you think you're beautiful it just doesn't feel natural something doesn't feel natural about this for me well, you brought up a beautiful point. Thank you for that correction because that's something to reflect on too because I thought about that more in terms of like 
something like skin tone. People mm -hmm. are like, I'm just attracted to dark skin. I'm attracted to light skin only. It's like, I don't know if that's true so much as that is what has been fed to you and told to you that that's good looking, whatever community that you're mm -hmm. in. But that doesn't apply, obviously, when it comes to gender. It's like, obviously, it doesn't because you can't pray the gay away. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you just need to see more vaginas. Trust me, right. you're going to feel differently, you know, by the end of the summer. Yeah. That doesn't really work in that capacity. So, yeah, that's something to think about, too, because I do firmly believe that so much of beauty is just a sales pitch mm -hmm. that benefits the few. And then the many are just trying to constantly pay to become a part of that select group. And that group is a moving target over time. What was yeah. beautiful now is not different. What's beautiful to 10 years ago. But why is it that we can change our preference in terms of body size or body ability or skin color, but it doesn't really work when it comes to gender? I don't know. I don't know. There's got to be some type of science to it, though. Yeah. Like evolution science. I mean... I remember I've had fantastic relationships with men, like good boyfriends, really great guys. I've had sex with them and just been like, this feels weird to me. Like, yeah. I, like, I just don't get it. It doesn't feel good to me. Um, I don't know. And I and I've have felt like that, not the sex part, but I felt like that about men since I was like, since I can remember ever having my first crushes. Yeah, because interesting that I got the advice I'd want to give you, which is fucked up because you did not ask, but <laughs> <laughs> here we go. I would be like, you should try, try to date it. people who are more non-binary or gender non-conforming because the success in that, the fact that they're not saddled with all these ideals of what you can and can't do is going to be so much higher. Yeah. And I think even for me, like I am attracted to feminine looking men. I'm attracted to men, but... I like straddle that every dude I've ever dated before people have been like, is he gay? And uh, please, Jared, don't get mad at me for saying this because it's hot by the way. Yeah. But he's no a feminine, disrespect. right? Yeah. He's got, there's feminine qualities to him, but I like that. I know women who are attracted to like very manly men. That's not my thing. But I think maybe that's a part of it is like, is that dude going to be down to reject a lot of the ideals around what he thought this man was supposed to be? Because I'm that dude mm -hmm. and I want to be that dude in this relationship. And I want you to be free to be that bitch, but not that bitch, but whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I want us to be free to create a different dynamic. And I think that people who assume that physical identity so heavily would just have a harder time meeting me there. Yeah. But you seem like a unicorn because that's where I think you probably will be confused. Where even when I saw you in Amber's videos, I thought you were much taller, which is just... Goes, I get that so often. I thought you were like NBA player tall. Yeah. For some reason, because Amber's tall and yeah. you looked like you were huge yeah. in comparison to her. But you're 5'9? 5'10. Come on. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I just think that also goes into all these assumptions. Yeah. In dating now, to your point, I have dated people that are more uh, androgynous um, and just don't subscribe to these ideals. They're not so strict. Maybe more, they like to be femme. But, like, they just don't subscribe to such strict boundaries of femininity. And it, and it has worked out better in, like, all realms, be it sexually, be it just how they think about life, how they handle people. Um, it has worked out better. Now there's, like, healing that I need to do emotionally, right, for it, for it to be sustainable. And longevity is a benchmark for me. I want something that's long-lasting. Um, so there's my own healing. But in that, to your point, I have dated people that have been much more leaning towards non-binary than not. Um, maybe on the spectrum, they lean more, they lean more feminine, 
but it's worked out, you know, and it's and it's been really beautiful to explore and, and see the world this way and look at each other through this lens this way also. If you add, this is a stupid question, but here we go. If you added up yourself as a total sum, do you think you lean more masculine or more feminine? Oh, you know, I always toy around with this, but I'll be like, I'm mask presenting, but femme of center. And it's just in queer community. It's we like joke about it. We laugh about it. But I really do feel like I am mask presenting and I just feel way like super gentle in that way. I just do. I don't know. And if that means that I'm femme of center, then OK, I'll take it. That's, that's the label. Then let's go with it. Have you met somebody who was femme presenting but masculine in their center? Yeah. And that's that's how I tend to date now. And it just works. Yeah. Have you been with somebody who you gave this permission to erase all the ideas of who does and who doesn't, who was like, wow, I didn't know that I like to X. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, and I Can think you fill in the blank for me. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think where it has shown up for me has been in the bedroom where it's like, they're more femme presenting um, and they have maybe they, they lean kind of masculine of center and I'm mask presenting and I lean maybe more femme of center, whatever this even means. Right. Um, and I've given them space to explore the things they're curious about in the bedroom that they haven't been able to in their previous situations. And then they're like, oh, I really like doing this thing. And like, thank you for allowing me to feel safe in in just trying this thing. Thank you for answering that question. And then they can do whatever they want with that after that. It's like, you either like doing this and you want to keep doing it, you want to get better at it, or you don't. And then that's fine. We don't have to do that. You don't have to use a real world example from your own life, but if we were to even do a hypothesized scenario, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you think feminine people get to try in the bedroom that they realize they thought were off limits, but were actually things they really enjoy doing? I think penetration. Like, that's the first thing I can think about. Um, and I'm not not even using a strap or anything like that, but I think penetration feeling what that fe feeling what vagina feels like on your hands however you feel that is an amazing experience it all makes sense women are magical beings we are amazing powerful amazing beings so i think when femmes are allowed to explore that that power also i think it really changes something for them um that's the example that i have right now yeah yeah because I think about sound, I think about even language, right? Like we, uh, feminine people in the bedroom have to ask, like, do you like that? Is this good? Is this your pussy? And then mask get to say what is. Mm -hmm. Like, you like this, suck this dick, mm -hmm. take it, I'm doing this. And then the other one, the woman has to be like, harder, faster, deep. like questions, right? Everything has to have a question mark. So I think being able to give the space to say things with exclamation marks and firmness would be something that's pretty shifting too. Yeah. I think women, well, feminine people from what I've, the ones that I've experienced anyway, can be pretty affirming. Right. And I, and I had like an affirming experience recently that was very different that, you know, the person that I was sleeping with was extremely affirming. It wasn't so like call and response, but more of like, this is what you deserve in like a very nurturing, very loving way. Like I see you like this. 
and you should see you like this. And I'm like, this is completely different because my role has traditionally been different. And now I'm having somebody who is speaking to the femininity in me while having sex. I can't, I can't even tell you because I don't want anybody to pull up on her, you know? Well, I, I know, <laughs> but <laughs> we had uh, Tenariel on the podcast and yeah. Tenariel was talking about this, how the person was just saying, you are loved, you are beautiful, you are amazing, you are worthy, you are smart, you are sexy, you are sensual. Um, and even that, I guess, that's even the more interesting thing because even when I was referencing Dirty Talk, I'm still saying like, I'm still in the binary role, right? I'm saying it's genderless, but instead I'm just saying we're swapping. Mm -hmm. Like you're doing this thing and I'm doing that thing versus like, fuck those things. What is the thing that isn't being done because we're so worried about protecting this submissive and dominant power play dynamic? Yeah. What is the thing in the middle where we just see each other as human beings mm -hmm. and speak to each other as equals or speak to each other to our highest potential? Yeah. And, and, creating like once you've experienced that you can't I watched that that with what's her name Tenario Tenario I watched that with her and once you've experienced that it's almost like you can't you, you only want to keep doing that like I don't even want to experience sex a different way than it being affirming sure I think there's space for like kink and if that's what it is and that's how we talk to each other great let's do it but I'm like oh but I want more of this I want more of this really building, really nourishing, uh, like filling sex that way. I'm curious if that has anything to do with like your relationships with your moms or not. Like the things you didn't hear. Yeah. You know, and then you're hearing it then. And it just gets embedded different when it's in the bedroom. I don't know. It feels more true. It feels more true. And I can believe it through your lens because you find pleasure in what you're doing with me. If you find me pleasurable and I'm desirable and you're saying these things to me, then I really believe you. Dot, dot, dot. Is there advice here that you'd like to give, PSA, that you'd like to share? It's obviously based on personal experience. It's not a one-size-fits-all copy and paste. Something that you learned in the past couple of years that you think other people could benefit from knowing too? Yeah, safety. I think... Safety is so, so important. Um, and not somebody's ability to just like protect you in impending danger on the street. Like, I think it's much deeper than that. Safety uh, with your thoughts um, and your feelings. Um, and safety to know that even though they will change, because we're humans, we're ever evolving, that your person is not leaving you they can still hold space for that as you change and you're able to express how you feel um yeah I, I would say make sure whoever you're exploring life with at that moment I like safety has to be a priority you have to feel safe um and deal with somebody that's genuinely curious and excited about you yeah they know how to keep your vulnerability safe and they're really curious about you and excited about that curiosity. And I think you're pretty good with those things. Even if it's not a long-lasting relationship, what it gets to do is reflect yourself to you and, and help you be okay with that. 
I just got to say, not only was Mal just a joy to have on the podcast, as you just saw or heard, she was just also a joy to have in my home. And that's the kind of magic I'm happy to extend an invitation for all of you to also experience. And you can do that by going to Instagram and following Mal at the handle I go by Mal. There's actually a cool project that Mal's working on that I believe that a lot of you will be interested in. So start following from now so you can get the updates on that. And we've been doing this for the past three weeks. I think it's a really fun thing to do. I'm going to preview next week's episode for you. And then I'll see you right back here. Another episode of Lovers and Friends. Bye, y'all. When we let go of the fairy tale, we do lose the opportunity to get that template partner, right? And that socially can be very valuable. The man should be this tall, this age, make this much more money. The woman should look this way. They should meet this exact way. They should have kids at this exact time. They should live here. They should have this much money. And how do you reconcile with the loss of that? You have to go forward confidently. And look, there are some people that are listening right now that might be like, no, I got to have the car. I got to have the tall. I got to have these optics for the life that I'm living. And that's okay if that is if you are choosing that mindfully. But you've got to be making, you've got to acknowledge where that desire comes from and meet that with mindfulness. Or you can just stay asleep and <laughs> and just keep doing what everybody else is doing. You know, do it for the external factors. But uh, I'll probably see you in 10 years when you come back on the, around on the other side. Yeah. So many people come to me after, after divorce, after, after failed relationships and realize that they were chasing somebody else's ideal. So let's just save the trouble. <laughs> Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I say, Lovers and friends. Uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I say, Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends, yeah, and I said, lovers and friends, uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end, I said, I'ma wax that, I'ma tax that, bring it back so you can mac that, pack that, where you going, press play, podcast streaming, got you going all day, talking about the good, good, girl, you know you look good, sex, dreaming, sex, feeling understood, yeah, you finding out he no good, but if you listen, pay attention, you gon' find out how to make a miss it, got a ticket, baby, you just lovers and friends.